Welcome to episode 231 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have our good friend, longtime contributor, playwright, columnist, poet, maker of jewelry, Professor Kitty Bell, Burbank. And we'll be talking to Kitty Bell about courage, about fear, about oppressors, about the brains in our guts, childhood and privilege, shadows and fitting in. And we'll be reflecting on what is it that we did to pass the time before the internet. We also talk a little bit about summertime and why she writes plays. Good conversation with Kitty Bell, do tell, today in the program. We also have an EW essay by yours truly, titled Courage, a poem titled Shadow, and a short essay by Emma Rathbone titled Before the Internet, published in the most recent issue of the New Yorker magazine. This all is ensconced, interspersed within, as is always the case, several great tunes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get to it. Episode 231 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
My heart pumps, strong but weary, and my mind hesitates to follow another journey of query. I realize this limited time here is passing me by. I remember fondly laying on the grass in the summertime, watching the powder puff cumulus clouds floating across the vibrant blue sky, and I'd joyfully wonder why. Now, I look up a lot less than I did back then. I look down, nervously around, empty through a ragged frown, spreading anger and fear-induced despair all too often. Not all of the time, though. I choose to fall in line too rigidly define the truly sublime and give credence by succumbing to the efforts of the oppressors via my self-aggrandizing righteous response, damaging those who I influence and soulfully touch. I guess I am not being so strong this tormented species of mine for me might just be too much. I struggle to discover the courage inside of this electrically charged structure of tissue, arteries, tendons, and bones. My personal demons I am closer to understanding. Past lives, perhaps, and the early days of this one for certain. I truly want to become healthy before it is drawn the final curtain.
that I had before. I know things have been hurrying since I came through your door. It's the same questions that I had before. Can I just make it easy? Can I run anymore? Maybe all I need is a little motivation. If I want it, I can have it. If I want it, I can have it. Maybe all I need is a little motivation. If I want it, I can have it. If I want it. Bell, is that you? Hello. Hi, I called you. (laughs) How dare you call EW Conundrum? I'm supposed to call you. (laughs) Nice to hear your voice. No, no problem. Ladies and gentlemen, Kitty Bell, longtime contributor to Troubadours and Rock On Tours. She's a playwright, a columnist, a poet, a maker of jewelry. How else do you want to describe yourself? Well, that's plenty. That play, that's a lot. That yeah. Is. 
So you ready to go? Yeah. All right. Where are we going? Well, first we're going to talk about <laughs> courage. I love it. Courage. What yeah. Is, what is that? I mean, what what is what does courage mean to you? How how do we display courage? Have you seen any courage lately? Courage means you know that there's a good chance you're going to fail and you do it anyway. That's a good definition. Yeah. Have you experienced uh, a need for courage as of late? All the time. Yeah. I um, I have a new job that uh, that's paying the bills in between uh, teaching gigs and, and art side jobs. And um, it's, it requires a lot of courage, I'm finding. Um, you have to be brave and... You know, jump right in there and and deal with people, and they might yell at you and they might be upset, but you you just do your best. You mean generally yeah. speaking, or with your new job? Well, I, I guess I was speaking about the job in particular, but generally speaking, also. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, day to day, if you're really going to engage and embrace your your life and the, those. Uh, situations and people that you you uh you have to i guess deal with if, if that's not a positive yeah i mean you just need to make decisions yeah and sometimes they're not going to be right but somebody needs to make decisions <laughs> so you just do it and you just guess and you try things and you cross your fingers and hold your breath and hope that they're not all going to be wrong that's courage you know? sure. i think so yeah I mean, because fear is not acting, you know, it is paralysis. Right. So, so if any, anytime you're, you're, you know, willing to take that responsibility, that's courage. And, uh, you know, when, when you're, when you're not acting out of fear, that's terrible, of course, paralysis. Also, I think sometimes, and, and correct me if you disagree, uh, we make decisions that are based on fear, which uh, oftentimes I would gather, I would, I would, I would state for, you know, pretty confidently are, are the wrong decisions. Not taking a risk. Not taking yeah. a risk or not supporting something or someone you should support. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, that... That is is cowardly or fear based. Uh, not to judge, but I mean, why do you want to have courage then? Why do we need to have courage? To progress, because we need to take risks to have things change in a positive way. Sometimes, I mean, if we keep doing things the same way that we've always done them. Because we're afraid of changing things, then we're more likely to become stagnant and and not succeed and not, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear my I hear myself in your in your uh, background. I hear my echo. It's freaking me out. Oh, I'm sorry. I have you on my laptop. Uh. Yeah, I don't know if if you can do anything about that, but whatever. I can 
turn the volume down. Yeah, maybe. Is that better? Yeah, yeah, I don't hear myself now. It's, okay, good. I only like to hear one voice in my head, not too many. <laughs> now, you know, let's let's take this on a collective level. I mean, there are okay. a lot, I don't know how political you have been lately. Um, or I, I know you're very social-minded. Um, you, you, in the collective, as part mm-hmm. of the collective, don't you think it's very important to have courage to to make certain that decisions are made, behavior is is uh, is seen uh, and and supported that helps most everyone? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that we need our elected officials to be able to do is to not always make the choice that they want to make for themselves, but to make a choice that is best for for us or for the greater good. You know, so you have a lot of people who get you to do one thing, but you need to be able to have courage for that person. You know, I appreciate your cause, but these people are counting on me to do this, and and this is what they need, not what you're trying to get me to do. Yeah, like lobbyists, uh, people of that uh, ilk who come in to those who have power in Congress. Yeah, yeah. it's freaky. I one of the I had a lot of jobs recently, <laughs> and I narrowed it down because it was too much work and too many hours and but this one part-time job I had was um at a a cancer center and the pharmaceutical companies buy everyone lunch twice a week I wonder why and what's that I wonder why because they're making a lot of money clearly right mm-hmm. and and, and there's clinical trials and they're trying to make new drugs that are more effective and or help people. And ultimately, I mean, these things, if not, if they can't always save lives, you know, they maybe extend life or give them a better quality of life for as much time as they have left. And, and those are admirable things. Those are good things. But there was just something that freaked me out about the fact that somebody was making that much money off of sick people that I just couldn't get over it. Yeah. Well, you're not going to hear me support uh, the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, you're, you're right. They make a lot of money. And oftentimes, I, I think they bilk the public. I mean, they, they do great things. You're right. Uh, pharmaceutical companies come up what well, the scientists do. Uh, right. with drugs that save people's lives. But then once it becomes a commodity, that's when the business uh, aspect comes to the forefront. And oftentimes, you know, they they make more money than they need to make. And uh, they won't give medicine away. I mean, they have to, they have to keep their companies uh, fiscally solvent. I understand that. But mm-hmm. I, sometimes I think it's, it's, it's obscene how much money they make. And also a lot of people won't get medicine that need it just because they don't have the money. That doesn't seem ethical. I mean, I know we live in a capitalist, capitalist society and all that. But still, yeah. when people are dying yeah. and sick and because they don't And have part money. of my job was supposed to be actually to help um, raise money for a fund that helped people who needed financial assistance. But then the whole 
purpose of that was kind of like a marketing thing, like a PR thing. I don't know. There was just something about it that like, for me, you know, I ended up taking a job that was less lucrative that I felt better about, you know, and some people would say that that would be a kind of courage to walk away from something that it's just, I mean, sometimes you have to do that to say this isn't right. And I don't care if, you know, you think it's better for me. I have to do what's right for myself. And, on, your, you know, on, a, on a level, on a spiritual, intellectual, soulful level. Yeah. Not yeah. And, and knowing money. that people aren't necessarily going to understand that choice, but you have to, you have to make the, the right choices for, for you that I think are, I think we talked about that before, right? That the, the Greeks thought that our brains were in our guts. Yep, they did. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, you feel it. It's that gut instinct that tells you what to do. And Are you going to listen to it or are you going to be more concerned about what other people think about you? Well, yes. And in our society, really, people will think there's something wrong with you if if you're, you're walking away from a highly lucrative position uh, for something that you know is as abstract as ethics or or you know your your conscience or what have you mm-hmm. I, that's not uh, you know I, that troubles me that that's the norm you know that's the that's the default of the reference what the heck's wrong with you you could be making all this money someone else is going to mm-hmm. make it if you don't make it yeah let them <laughs> yeah now that that brings me to oppressors Another wow. another topic I wanted to get into, <laughs> oppressors. Well, we want to run with that. I, I could I could put stuff out there, but I'd like. Yeah, you what are you thinking? Well, I believe there are so many oppressors in our society. You know, I, mm-hmm. all, of all types. Um, and I, again, I go back to to governments. I go back to um, uh, people right now, in particular, who are in power. Uh, that. Mm-hmm. They come out and, and they misinform and they mm. smoke in mirrors uh, to try to divert attention to what what uh, the, the real heart of the matter, the real substance of the matter is so that they could get what they want. And, and, they, and they keep everybody else or the, you know, the, the folks who uh, they, they don't want to find out, it seems, right. uh, in in check or they keep them down or or yeah how how conscious like conscious and intentional do you think that that is i think it's very conscious Conscious. do you like we're gonna keep these people down yes i think it's conscious i do that's too bad and even if it isn't conscious uh yeah they they need to know that that's what's happening i think there yeah you don't think there are intentional oppression i I think there's ways that we justify things and that there's levels of privilege that that i I think yeah i I don't i i think there's very few people that that are actually trying to oppress people like that's not their goal their goal is something else but shouldn't they know then i mean is it okay if they don't know that they're oppressing people well i we don't think it is but people have a way of justifying their actions so that they can live with themselves we were just talking about that with like um 
do you think the drug dealers feel bad when these people overdose? And, um, uh, you know, I'm saying I, probably they can't because if they did, they wouldn't be able to keep doing what they're doing. So there's a way that they justify it saying, well, if they didn't get it from me, they're going to get it from someone else or something like that. Yeah. Because otherwise they like they can't do it. Like, I, I don't think that most people are that bad. It's just that they've managed to construct a, a delusion of th- that allows them to act that way, to, to justify what they're doing. Or, or they've been raised to believe, you know, in their system that, that it's honorable somehow, whereas we don't see it that way because we are on the other side or something. Yeah, maybe if, are you saying if we were on the, the same side they are, if we were reaping the rewards of, uh, of oppression and privilege, then we'd find a way to delude ourselves too? Yeah, if we were taught by our parents that, that this is the way that society is supposed to be and that, you know, being as part of this privileged class that, I mean, I know I've read things where, people that have that sort of sense of entitlement, like they think like, okay, so maybe they worked hard and they see that their success is because that they worked hard. But what they don't see is that they also got lucky and they discount that as a factor in their success and they want to take credit for it. You know, they don't see, well, I was in the right place at the right time, or my dad knew this guy and he got me this job. And, you know, they don't see those, that aspect of it as much. And I think it's a kind of same thing with, with these oppressors that they, they see the honorable and they, they don't see the damage. Yeah. And, and perhaps they see survival of the fittest, that right. sort of outlook. Right. They're, yeah, the, the, well, I've worked hard. I deserve this. And, and and they believe that myth that if they work hard enough, they can get out of that situation. They they believe that, I mean, they don't, they don't see the science, whereas if you grow up in poverty, your, your brain isn't going to be as fully developed or you're going to have these other disadvantages. They don't see those things. They don't believe that because that would make it more difficult for them to do what they do. So... They, they believe a different story. Everybody, that, everybody has an equal uh, chance oppor- and yeah. an opportunity, and yeah, yeah. and that's right. Not and so true. they believe that they believe that if you if you want it hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can be as successful as I can, even though that the odds are, you know, terrible. If you didn't go to one of these schools, or if you didn't, you know, have these families, or grow up in, in these communities with these connections, you, you know, it's stacked against you. They don't want to believe that that's true, that they had, they don't want to believe that they have an advantage that has something other to do than with their Success. abilities and talents and, um, and intelligence and whatever. So are you, would you say then uh, those who are privileged uh, and, and don't see these things, lack the courage we were talking about earlier? Lack the courage to... 
I don't know, to see what really is out there, to understand the disparity, the um, the, the lack of uh, a fair society, and uh, everybody getting an equal shake and all. I guess. I mean, is it a lack of courage, or is it just like, why would they? Well, because it, it would it would hurt their sense of, of self and their sense of being uh, better and dominant. Be, they don't have the courage to see that. I mean, if their gut, going back to the gut, they don't have that gut instinct to say, well, there's something mm-hmm. wrong here. Uh, or do they not right. have the courage to allow that to to Right. Uh, I think we're all guilty of it to a certain extent. Like, am I really investigating everything I buy to make sure that it wasn't manufactured in a sweatshop first? No. Should I? Yeah, probably. So hard. But do I? No, yeah. not practically. Because right. it's just, I don't have the, the time, you know? Now, childhood. Yes. We go to childhood. When now. we didn't have to worry about things like this. Exactly. <laughs> right. When you look at children and the way that they view the world and themselves, I mean, I think a lot of children, you could say, are are immature and thus selfish and also their emotional development their intellectual development keeps them from excuse me from um being able to to see certain things of course uh so i mean they're not perfect children but at Mm -hmm. the same time they do have an openness i think right And, and is that because they don't have the well some children do i shouldn't say this but maybe they are insulated uh, from from all of the troubles and problems and pressures that adults are, therefore they, or they haven't, or is it because they haven't been uh, indoctrinated yet into the that what we say is is the the normal way of approaching things and and such? I mean, because their ideals haven't been crushed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. Um, that idealism is great. Yeah. Um, we need that. We need to see that in, in young people. Yeah. yeah, it's it's amazing how quickly they become shy, how quickly they, they become fearful. You know, I, I work with kids at the United Neighborhood Center um, in the youth theater program. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And so many of them so early are afraid they're afraid of people laughing at them or not liking them or making fun of them or, or being, you know, of appearing foolish when, you know, you look at them and you're like, you're, but you're just a kid. You should be having fun. You shouldn't be afraid of those things yet, but it happens so fast. A lot of these children, um, do they have similar backgrounds in terms of socioeconomics? And family life and, and things? Uh, um, it's a little all over the place. But, I mean, it's probably safe to say that none of them are extremely well off. But otherwise, I mean, the, the only thing that they might have in common is, you know, an economic bracket. And do you think that has something to do with it? The, the level of shyness? The, the, or is it just about human beings want, wanting, especially at that age? I think humans always want to, to do this. Uh, is it about fitting in more so? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And being, they have, they and, fear of being yeah. tagged different? 
Yeah, I guess. And, and that can happen as soon as you get to school, I guess. I mean, I, I guess when I think back, like I remember in second grade when we moved from California to Pennsylvania, like not doing well in my first four months in Dunmore. You know, <laughs> like the, the kids were not kind, you know, and that was in 1980, 1979 or something. So that, that it's not like that's new or anything. No, it's the human condition to a certain extent, yeah. human development. Yeah. Uh, so you moved from where in California? Where did we move from? Yeah. The Bay Area. Man, you could be in the Bay Area. And you're here. Oh, it's, like, it's too expensive. Are you kidding? <laughs> Who can live there? Uh, well, maybe if you stayed there, you'd be, you know, very wealthy. Yeah, uh, we couldn't afford to live there in 1979. Is why <laughs> we moved back to Pennsylvania. <laughs> Kitty Bell here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Playwright, columnist, poet, professor, maker of jewelry, community mm-hmm. activist, so many things. Uh, My new boss with, calls me professor. Well, that's a good title. That's apropos. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's a great thing to be called. Uh-huh. Um, so what, I want to ask you, have you reflected on, on the one question I, I, tw- I texted you? What, what did we do to pass the time before the Internet? What did we do? Wow, do I, I do the same things now. <laughs> good for you. Right? You're not a slave to your smartphone, to social media, all that? No, I mean, I use it, I use social media to stay in touch with people, you know, because I don't see people in person as much as I should. And I do want to stay in contact with them, but um, I, I can't be on there too much, you know? Well, what, I don't know. what happens? We used to play outside a lot. <laughs> as kids anyway yeah i still do i go for walks you know i take pictures of things and post them on yeah. instagram automatically or facebook no. sometimes if i think it looks really cool and somebody else might like to see what i saw but i don't have that compulsion to like put everything out there we used to play cards a lot Play cards and then kick mm-hmm. ball and ride our bicycles. Yeah. We used to like just go exploring in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Go you know? Forts. Yeah. Yeah. Dig up earth and make clay pots and <laughs> cook them in the bonfire at the lake. We used to do that. Just make up games. We made up games. But like, if you think about them now, it's like, why we spent hours like playing these games that didn't even make any sense. <laughs> but yeah. they kept us entertained. You know, a lot of children can be very creative and have fun just kicking a can. We used to play a game, kick, kick the can, it was called. Just kick the freaking can. We used to do that too, yeah? <laughs> in the alley, yeah. Yeah, kick the can in the alley. You know, mm-hmm. uh, is that, do you think? It, like, did that, that had rules and stuff, but I don't even remember did. what they were. It did have rules, yeah. Or, Not a lot. No, and you change them as you go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> With um, a lot of games. We played, yeah, we played a lot of board games. Um, 
We watched some TV, but really not even that much when I think about it compared to all the other things that we did. Well, do you think that way of spending time is better than uh, spending more of the time that you might have spent doing those types of things now on an electronic device or in front of the television watching Netflix or what have you? I mean, if that's all you do, yeah. Um, definitely. Why? Um, because it uses more in different parts of your brain. And because it's interaction with, with people. Real and, people. Yeah. And the, in the real world, you know. There's something about, like, I guess when we watch those, like, television, our brains think that we're experiencing what we're watching, but it's in a different way. It's, you know, I don't know. Oh, it is. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Even when I, I just kind of flatlined there for a minute. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. It sounded like to me like you're just reflecting as you usually. I kind of was. I just zoned out, and then then I heard fireworks, and I was like, "What? <laughs> What's going on? When am I? <laughs> when am I?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it it uh, it is totally different to get together with people and interact in person. And then it is uh, on social media, electronically, or through yeah. fiction, fiction, or what have you, on television. Uh, yeah, I'm really big about the use of our senses. You know, we have all of these things, like things, especially with the way, like touching things, the way things feel. Like, it's really important to me. And you, you don't get that. From watch, well, I mean, you kind of do. Part of your like, you can imagine like if somebody touches something cold in a movie, your brain imagines what that feels like to touch something cold. But it's not the same as if you don't actually touch something that's cold, then you don't know what it feels like. You know, you need to know what the it feels like to go for a walk in soggy grass and have your shoes get soaked. You need to know what it feels like. You know to. To, to have real experiences. Yeah. I agree. Or, or your brain doesn't know how to respond when it sees a virtual one. Right. The reference. The real it's like hearing a, a vocabulary word that you don't know or a foreign language or something. That's a, that's a good comparison. Yeah. And I've been talking to people face to face, looking at uh, each other in your in your eyes and hearing mm-hmm. your voice, there's so yeah. much more there uh, in terms of your senses, as as you mentioned, and just uh, you know the the intangible interaction of being in the presence of other people is mm-hmm. so much deeper, so much more substantive. You feel your humanity, right? Uh, That's know. why I make plays. That's why you make you know. plays. Yeah, theater, getting those people in a room together and having them all experience something that's happening in front of them in the same room. I mean, you can, you can feel what the actor is feeling. 
they do it well. You know? Yeah. The whole I'm, point. I'm, yeah, I've seen some of your plays, and I love them. You do good work. White Matter, <laughs> the last time we were on, we, we talked, it was right before White Matter uh, Surplus, and uh, mm-hmm. you just had another run of it last weekend. Did that go well? Um, it did. It did. Um, as always, you always wish that more people had gotten to see the work, but um, it was, you know, I learned kind of something from it. I mean, the whole point is that you can't really, I don't think, I don't personally think you could become a better writer, a better playwright, unless you see the work staged. Because you don't really learn what you need to learn about what works, what doesn't work in your writing if you don't see it produced. So it was important for me to do this play this year because um, I think it, it's the the best one I've written so far, which makes sense because you get better with practice. Um, and I'm, you know, starting this graduate school program in, um, in like six weeks. <laughs> And I want to get the most out of that, you know? So I'm going to be writing plays, and I really needed to see that produced so that I can take that with me into becoming better in in the classroom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing some more of your work. And, uh, yeah. It's hard because you want to write things that matter to people, but... It, it also has to matter to you. Oh, yes. You know, so the trick there is is trying to, like, you know, find something that's worth spending all of that time on in your own heart, in your own head, and, and having it be personal, but having it be something that can also matter to other people. Yeah, transcendence. Yeah, and that shouldn't be hard, but... Sometimes it feels like it is. Sometimes it feels like there's so much out there. Like, why does anybody need to hear what I have to say? <laughs> but you can't let that stop you. I guess that's where that courage comes in. Do it anyway. You know, well, maybe yeah. nobody does need to hear it. But what, what else are you going to do? Not not do it? You know? Yeah. Well, we came full circle. Kitty Bell, <laughs> back to courage. It's so it's so nice to have you on the program. We're just about out of time this go round. Um, any final thoughts for the listeners before we say ciao? I guess just I hope everybody can get out there and experience as much summer as they can. You know, you have any, you have any what it plans? smells like, what it feels like, what it tastes like. Just absorb it into your skin. That's a plan. That's a good yeah. plan. Right? Yeah, that's my plan. And uh, any anything um, you want to share in terms of social media or any uh, any projects coming up? Uh, no. I just finally got <laughs> everything calmed down enough. We have Arts on the Square coming up the last uh, Saturday of July. So that should be a good time. Yeah. Yeah. That should be a real good time. 
I'm looking forward to just kind of getting out into the arts community again. And I, I was just so busy working for a while. And before that, so busy trying to line up the work that I, I just kind of fell out of the, the loop of being able to go out and experience things. Just be relaxed enough to have a good time, you know. Um, so finally now I've, I've gotten all my ducks in a row and I can kind of just have a routine again, which is really great. And um, I went out and I saw an exhibit at AFA that I, I had missed when it opened, but I, you know, I saw it and I ended up buying a painting, which was really exciting because I haven't really bought a painting in a long time, but I loved the artwork so much. I just had to, I, I didn't have to have one, but I decided that, if, if anybody has a reaction that's that strong, like, and you can afford to support the artist to show them that their work meant that much to you, you should do it. I agree. So, so I had to, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Well, enjoy the painting. Enjoy the summer. And uh, yeah. I, I hope to see you out and about. Yes. Thanks that for would being be great. on the program. Yeah, it would be. Let's let's do that. Okay. And uh, thanks for taking the time out after a long day to be on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. I truly appreciate it, Kitty Bo. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, me too. Okay. Have Take a good care. night. You too. Bye. Ciao. Talk to you. If 
Essay by Emma Rathbone, titled Before the Internet, published in the June 26, 2017 edition of The New Yorker magazine. Before the internet, you would just sit in an armchair with the book open on your lap, staring into space or staring at a decorative broom on the wall, kind of shifting back and forth between those two modes of being. Before the internet, you might take it upon yourself to do a drawing. You'd quietly start sketching something in a notebook, not sure what it was, but you'd let inspiration guide you, and then whoop! Turns out you'd drawn a squiggly alligator with a cockeyed approach. Before the internet, you'd have yawning summer afternoons when you'd flop down on one couch, then flop down on another, then decide to craft a fake FBI card. You'd get some paper from your dad's office, copy the FBI logo and your signature, laminate it with scotch tape, put it in your wallet, take it out of your wallet, look at it, then put it back in your wallet with a secretive smile. It was a heady time. You'd be in some kind of art center wearing roomy overalls, looking at a tray of precious gems, and you'd say, that's cat's eye. And your friend would say, nope, that's opal. And you'd say, that's definitely cat's eye. And there would be no way to look it up, no way to prove who was right, except if someone had a little booklet. Anyone got a little booklet, you'd ask, looking around? Is there a booklet on this shit? Then you'd walk outside and squint at the sky, just you and your body, not tethered to any network, adrift by yourself in a world of strangers in the sunlight. Before the internet, you could move to a new state and no one at school would know anything about you. You'd have no online history. You could be anyone. You would lean against the lockers with a faraway expression on your face and let people assume whatever they wanted. Like that you were a girly girl, but could also be a tomboy. Or that back in your hometown, you'd been friends with a bunch of crows. And everyone assumed that if they saw a crow, it probably knew you, because you had some kind of understanding with crows, owing to undefined telepathic abilities that made you look troubled now and then, but also really important. And if anyone wanted to track down an old friend of yours and write her an actual letter to find out if any of this was true, well, best of luck to them. Before the internet, you could laze around on a park bench in Chicago reading some Dean Kuntz, and that would be a legit thing to do, and no one would ever know you had done it unless you told them. Before the internet, if you were in need of some facts, you might actually decide to consult an old person, like the one living in your finished basement. But then you'd find yourself watching The Bridge on the River Kwai, 
which you agreed to do because the old person asked in such a fragile way that you couldn't say no. About ten minutes in, you'd say you needed some water, then wander up to the kitchen, where you'd get caught up staring at a refrigerator magnet. Then, for no reason, you'd do a little dance. You'd wondered if you should expand that dance right then and there. Maybe I'll direct music videos, you'd say to yourself. But you'd have no way to follow up or to look it up. You'd just be standing in the deafening quiet of your kitchen at midday, alone with your thoughts. Should I test out these pens on this turquoise pad? You'd ask yourself, staring at some pens by the phone. Instead, you'd take a sip of your drink and say, like a person in a commercial. Then you'd go do that in front of a mirror to see how it looked, because that's what it was like before the internet. You made your own fun. Happy hour in those high heel boots, splitting checks for some massive groups. Red teeth and the bad back blues The sketchy truth about the vineyard youth Can't slow down but her car's in the shop She can't pay up but she still wants to rock She can't listen to the people talk Just stares beyond their shoulders Waits until their mouths stop moving She knows this guy who likes to fool around Got a big house up in Tangletown He claims he used to have a family Falls asleep way too easily She walks around once he passes out Calls a car and collects what's hers Takes a bottle when she's walking out She's working at the court when she gets back into a building Drink until the sun comes up Sleep it off and then it starts again Go to work and when she's getting off Tries to hang around some finer things Tries to hang around some finer things Keeps his eyes on the sales reports Keeps in shape with the racket sports Tennis shorts on the tennis courts Lost his shirt in a bad divorce The lawyers came and they scraped him away He kept the house but he still lost his way Goes to work but they take half his pay At least a car that makes it look okay The broker said that he should sell the wine They got this guy that can arrange a buy But there's a girl that sometimes comes to him She seems to really like to find her things Once a week or so he takes her out She picks a place that's always new and loud He can barely even hear her talk Just stares beyond her shoulder Waits until her mouth stops moving Sit and drink until they fall asleep He wakes up and he's alone again Tries to hang around some finer things Tries to hang around some finer things 
off Tries to hang around some finer things Sit and drink until the sun comes up Sleep it off and then it starts again Go to work and when she's getting off Tries to hang around some finer things Tries to hang around some finer things Tries to hang around some finer things Shadow. As I scribble these words on paper, the sun finally crafts a shadow, outlining the tip of this pen and my fingers holding it, knuckles, hair, and the subtle curve of my thumbnail. Can you feel the bright energy and deep warmth? Can you hear the birds tweet up and down the street? It's lovely. Isn't it? Gimme, 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 gimme that swing. Gimme that swing. Gimme that swing. Gimme, 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 gimme that swing. Gimme that swing.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and otherwise. Thank you so much for listening to episode 231 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. It's a pleasure to produce this show for you and uh, with all of these great individuals that make it so special. And those folks this week are, first and foremost, our good friend Kitty Bell. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and a bit about what you're experiencing in your life as an artist and as an everyday wonderful human being. I also like to thank these uh, musical artists, but first, actually, Emma Rathbone, the writer for the wonderful essay titled Before the Internet, and these wonderful artists, Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli, Hopalong, Benjamin Booker, Mink DeVille, Craig Finn, uh, Sissy Redgwick, as well as Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Take care. <laughs>